Welcome to the Words of Heart podcast. In this episode, we dive into a topic or story pertaining to mental health. This episode is accompanied with video and audio. However you choose to listen to this episode, sit back, relax, open your hearts and minds. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. everyone welcome to another episode of the words of our podcast i'm your host dion sanchez and joining me today in this episode is jeff lee thank you for joining me today jeff hey thanks for having me dion how y'all doing today (laughs) we're doing great jeff how are you i mean it's uh the world is a pretty interesting and challenging place here so i'm looking forward to having a conversation with you from the heart here Absolutely. So Jeff, if you could tell my audience a bit about yourself, that would be great. Sure. I mean, you know, whenever I sort of talk about my life, I have to start with uh, the people that gave me my life, which is my parents. So my parents were uh, boat people from Vietnam. They escaped communism in the fall of uh, the fall of Saigon in 1975. They left on a 32 foot raft and escaped um, with their lives in their hands and spent about six years in different refugee camps in Thailand and the Philippines. Landed in Southern California in 1981. I was born a year later. So pretty American dream story, right? People with nothing come with the hopes of having something and then, you know, giving the opportunity for their children to have the opportunity to do whatever they want to do without worrying about the safety and health of their lives, right? And so my parents gave me a great opportunity to explore as much as I could. I mean, they gave me my first job. My parents were gardeners in Southern California and I got to mow lawns at age eight. I learned two things very quickly at age eight. Number one, working sucks. Uh, It's really hard. And two, Dion, when you work in as the help, you're treated that way. So it was really helpful to learn that uh, not everybody's equal, even though we say they are. And that's actually an important lesson uh, of, of empathy to take away. Um, you know, much of my life has really been focused on making sure that others don't feel the way I felt 
in those moments at eight years old, like little eight-year-old Jeff mowing lawns shouldn't feel that way. Just like, you know, little Dion shouldn't feel that way either or little Joe or Susie. And so that's been really a guiding point for my life, right? Um, and, you know, I sort of break my career in life into three chapters. The first is a world where I dreamt of seeing as many places and spaces as possible. I was so lucky to work and travel to 85 countries around the world. I got to go to places as, you know, beautiful in the Middle East or in beautiful in Europe and precious in Africa and in Latin America. I loved my time working at the State Department and working overseas in the United Nations and doing a lot of really cool work. But um, the place that really captured me was uh, from 2010 to 2013. I worked in Afghanistan. Uh, I was supporting the U.S. military, helping to build infrastructure and economic development across the country in sort of really crazy situations, trying to help rebuild communities and sort of build trust. And then the second half of that, I worked with a human rights organization, trying to train women on how to better advocate for their rights that were enshrined in the Afghan constitution, to give women the opportunity to live as an equal, uh, to give them uh, faith and encouragement that they could make a difference in their society. And with the news that you've seen in Afghanistan now, it's quite hard to watch, but it's a great example of why, um, you know, anything we do, the most important thing is how we treat the people. And I think so much of that has been important for how I've tried to look at the world. Um, after my times in Afghanistan, I went to work in politics. I worked, to, you know, for two members of Congress as a national security advisor. Uh, and I also got to work for the governor of California. And, you know, California, and I know you're based in Florida, but, you know, California is 40 million people. Uh, it's if you if California were a country, it'd be the fifth largest economy in the world. Um, you know, Napa Valley, Hollywood, Silicon Valley, just as examples. But it really does sort of touch every point of society that when something happens in California, other people react to it in, in the United States and in the world. And so I love being able to work for a governor that, you know, we got to work on real issues that help real people. And some of the hardest work included dealing with disasters, so fires, floods, droughts, mass shootings, um, you know, some of the worst things. But it was a great opportunity where, you know, your work can directly help save someone's life or help rebuild someone's life. So, you know, in California, you have historic fires every year. I got to respond to all those fires and to help people, you know, get money and support so they could rebuild their lives. Uh, that was meaningful work for me. And then in this third phase, I'm working in tech now and, you know, do, do political work for technology companies. And now I'm in a small startup that focuses on housing and rental assistance, particularly focused on providing more options for people when they're moving in somewhere. So, you know, especially in the space of security deposits, there's all this like upfront cost when you move somewhere. And I think it's so weird that everything else in life, you have choices, but when it comes to security deposits, you either pay it or you don't. So if you pay it, you get to live there. If you don't, you don't get to live there. So the company I'm at, Rhino, they provide um, a smaller premium for folks to pay and then they can move in. And then if they pay their premiums and they pay their rent and they you know, don't leave a giant hole in the wall, they're good at the end of their lease rather than putting, let's say, $2,000 together instead right up front. So for many American families, they have less than $450 of savings, right? So imagine right now where you have thousands, millions of people that are eventually going to be evicted in the next you know, a few months ahead during, because of COVID-19 and the pandemic uh, through no default of their own, what are they going to do? So I try to, you know, I try to focus my life on, you know, putting in processes, policies, 
uh, outreach to support people who um, are in circumstances that are harder and deserve more support. So that's sort of the arc of my life. And I'm looking forward to talking to you about some of those things in more detail. Awesome. And I truly admire you for using your work um, specifically in equality and empathy and giving people a sense of freedom, whether it's through living structures or just the right to speak their minds as an equal and be treated equally. And I just really admire the fact that your work is surrounded by those ideals. Um, you mentioned you were in Afghanistan from 2010 to 2013. Mm -hmm. Hope I had the timeline. That's right. right. Yeah, that's right. Um, emotionally how was how were you affected I know obviously I know you were serving your country and helping others but how emotionally affected were you by that um because Afghanistan yeah. isn't known for its hospitality <laughs> well it's interesting you know I will tell you that um one of the universal truths what I've learned I've learned two I learned two things from Afghanistan number one um the longer you're in a place the less you know because these societies and communities are hundreds and thousands of years old. And for you to think you can come in and like master it and understand how it really works is so foolish. And, um, you know, especially as an American, you need to be thinking about this with more empathy uh, and more listening rather than sort of just talking. Um, and Afghanistan is one of the most beautiful, but also one of the most complex societies I've ever seen up front, uh, working with people, you know, working with Afghan governors, working with Afghan leaders, working with, you know, folks who work at the market. I mean, it's such a complex society. Um, the second thing, which I think is important to highlight is everywhere I've gone, whether that's, you know, whether that's Wichita, Kansas, whether that's, uh, you know, in Tbilisi, Georgia, whether that's in Kabul, Afghanistan, the people who have the least always seem to give the most. And so just because you, they don't have the same means or possessions or, you know, resources doesn't mean they have a smaller heart. They usually have a bigger heart. And when I think about um, my time there, I mean, in terms of the positives, I mean, um, I learned so much about, you know, how people interact in mid-conflict. I mean, this was an active war zone I was working in. Um, I also learned sort of the importance of, of relationships and, and, you know, being most appreciative of the moments you have because time is so short. You know, I had colleagues and peers who um, weren't so fortunate. They had horrible things happen to them where they, you know, were um, no longer here. It's quite it's hard to think about, especially in the current context now where, um, you know, that country is about to go into a pretty horrible transition of leadership and the potential I think of, you know, I picture the, the, the faces of the women I worked with, I picture their children, I picture their friends and, um, you know, Afghanistan isn't just something on a map to me, you know, it's not some drawing, it's not some news cycle, it's, it's relationships and lives and I'm doing everything I can to make sure I can get my staff and, you know, their families and, you know, others out as quickly as we can because they deserve a future too. Uh, the future that we sort of told them they could have. So I think we do have a commitment there. Um, the second part of that to your question of like, how was I affected negatively? I mean, I'm, I mean, your life is on hold. Uh, you know, I missed countless weddings. I missed countless births of children. I missed funerals, you know, sort of major milestones, you know? Um, and then when I came back, you get the question, Hey, how's Afghanistan? You're like, Oh, great. Okay. You know, I mean, it's like saying, how's Disneyland, right? You're like, well, fine. Yeah. You know, and so, or how's college or, you know, it's sort of, 
you know, they don't actually want to know. And so you sort of feel sort of out of sync. And that's why your relationships when you're there are lifetime relationships, because only you and them know what that was. And that's always that chapter for you and your life and your time. And so your relationships were worth even more after these sorts of experiences. And yeah, I mean, it was just emotionally pretty hard. And, uh, but at the same time, it makes you appreciate things so much more. I mean, once a month, you know, family sent me, you know, a, a care box of cookies and books and things, you know, and it, you'd be surprised how much that can mean to you if you've been in a situation where, you know, people, you know, were shot or people you worked with were kidnapped or people that you were trying to build a partnership with have fled the country for whatever reason. Right. So you're dealing with such hard things and the little thing like a chocolate chip cookie or like, you know, some like, you know, some, you know, trashy magazine, you know, at the aisle of the store at Publix sort of gives you that sort of sense of keeping it funny, you know, that's just important. So it was not an easy time, but I'm a much stronger, much more resilient person for it. And obviously those friendships, I hope I get to keep for the rest of my life. Awesome. And I truly admire you for sharing this because, um, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be honest, I'm not big on watching the news because it's really negative, but it is negative. It sucks. <laughs> it's really negative, but, um, I did see what was happening over there and it's really disheartening that those yeah. people, We'll have to go through that because I mean we all want to live in a society of comfort and safety and not chaos and probably a mishmash of other negative words that yeah. I get into or else I'm going to start crying. So. Yeah, yeah, it's it's tough, but again, it makes you appreciate your friends, your family, uh, your coworkers that you respect. Um, it makes you appreciate. And also when you're, when you travel so much, it makes you also appreciate your own country, despite all its perfection, imperfections. I mean, this is still the greatest country in the history of the world, but it's not perfect and far from it. Especially when you think about um, systemic racism that this country still has to face and reckon with. When you think about the inequality in this country, when you think about people that we have not have access to services, live in homelessness, live in conditions that are just, I mean, morally questionable that you allow for that. So this isn't perfection. This is not the kingdom of heaven, right? But um, this is also the place where my parents, right, who are free range organic chicken farmers in Georgia can raise their children to have a college education that they never had, to have opportunities at jobs they never would have ever had, and to have friendships and experiences that they can only dream of just because they were able to sacrifice to come here, right? Everywhere else in the world, that doesn't really happen, you know? So that's how I think about it. But again, just because we do things pretty special here doesn't mean it's perfect. And it's up to everybody, everyone at an individual level, at a human level, at a, you know, at a passion level to think about the fundamental question when you wake up is what are you gonna do to make the world a better place? And what are you gonna do to make yourself a better person? And I think that's just so important um, because again, as my mother told me growing up, uh, you only live once unless you're Buddhist or Hindu, so you should make it count. And she's totally right. Absolutely. And I truly um, live by those particular ideals. Um, I was raised to treat everyone with kindness and acceptance, and that's just my God-given nature inside of me. Mm -hmm. um, probably people think I'm way too nice. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't have the heart in me to be cruel or mean because yeah. why would you want to be cruel or mean to anyone? That's There's a lot of people out there that 
have some issues, you know, it's, it's hard. It's really hard, but that's why we have to sort of stay positive and upbeat despite all the horrible things, despite a global pandemic, despite uh, the end of America's longest war, despite, um, you know, so many of the things you could easily point to and feel, you know, really disheartened by, you know, systemic murders of communities of color, or whatever that might be, um, you have to find silver linings. And at least for me in the work that I try to do, I try to implement things that could help as many people as possible, uh, knowing that, uh, you, you know, people, people, if given the right opportunity, can do extraordinary things. Absolutely. And I totally believe in the silver lining to things. Um, I've undergone a lot in my life. Um, I got diabetic um, at the start of the pandemic um, in a way that kind of rhymes, sort of, but it doesn't make it all that less shocking because to get diagnosed with anything during this pandemic is makes it all the more terrifying and fearful. But um, I took that experience not as a curse, which many people in my family did see it as a curse. Mm-hmm. I saw it as a blessing in disguise because yeah. I could have died if I hadn't gotten that diagnosis. And that particular diagnosis led God to give my life more purpose, to be a warrior for change, and inevitably led to me launching this podcast a year ago as of next week. <laughs> So um, that's pretty cool. Um, And just giving others a chance to share their stories um, when the world may have silenced them. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, Well, I guess we can get on to the icebreaker question. Sure. (laughs) Yeah, there's lots to to talk about there. But yeah, would love it. Let's, Let's hear the icebreaker. So the icebreaker question is, if you had to come up with a title or a chapter for where your life is at right now, what would it be? Oh my gosh. Um, I think it would be, it would be, um, oh my gosh. I don't think I've ever actually been asked this before, Uh, but I think it's something along the lines of when you, when you just, when you truly embrace your full self, you can be your best self that's, I think, how I would describe it. You know, um, a year ago, um, I, just as the pandemic was happening, uh, I was flying for work and I was in transit. I was trying to get through security like everyone does, right, in that situation. And um, I was rushing to get to the gate to get to California. And this woman came up to me and she just spit right in my face. And just big, giant loogie. And you know, as an Asian American, you, you're sort of taught quickly. The number one thing is you can't stand out. You shouldn't rock the boat when things happen, because if you do, bad things happen to you. And so what I naturally did, because number one, this has happened to me before. So I know how to, how to react. And number two, um, usually I react with a joke. And so when she spit on my face, I said, well, uh, if I knew it was going to rain, I should have brought an umbrella. And I looked around, there were about a dozen people and every one of them looked at me and then just looked away, pretended it never happened, that it didn't matter, that I didn't matter. And it made me realize that number one, getting spit on sucks. Number two, 
what's worse than getting spit on is watching people condone that to not stick up for you to not stand up for your fellow human and that's when i realized Dion, that i had spent my entire life just trying to blend in and i needed to say something that nobody was going to say something for me i had to say something and so for those next coming months, I was trying to sort of find my voice and sort of talk about how do you, how do you talk about Asian hate, you know, because so many people think Asians got it great and like they're really nice and they work really hard, you know, that sort of stereotype, Yeah. Um, you know, but the truth is, this is a group of people that, you know, have been considered foreign since the dawn of time here, who, you know, Japanese Americans and Chinese Americans have been here since the 19th century and have been here longer than most European Americans. And we still treat them like, hey, where are you really from? Or, hey, your English is so good. Or what I'll tell you happened a couple weeks ago, two guys went up to me and they're like, hey, Buddha, uh, can we rub your belly for good luck? Two o'clock in the afternoon. And again, I'm con- I've been asked this before, so I have an answer for it. And two, it should be funny. Because if it's not funny, it gets into an altercation. And if you're a person of color in a situation, you probably get killed, generally. Right? That's the way it works, right? That's the way it works. So I had a joke. I said, hey, here, here's the thing. You don't want to rub my belly because I don't have any wishes for you. I'm not a genie. And they're like, yeah, that totally makes sense. I was like, yeah, thanks. Here's the thing. Police officer right by the whole time. So we have this world that allows for conditions for this to happen where people actively suppress the freedoms and values of other people. But we, the people who don't say anything, we create those conditions, not that person. The person's out of line, but when people don't say anything, that becomes the status quo. And so when you say the China flu or the Kung flu or the China virus, what you're trying to say is that it's Asian people's fault and that we should, we should hurt them. And that's what happened to me last March. And then um, I'll tell you one more thing related to this icebreaker, <laughs> because it matters. Um, when, you know, my parents, right, they've been working, they've been in the United States now almost 40 years, um, 40 years next month. And, you know, they work 18 hour days. That's all they know. You know, they're farmers. And they built this community of friends in, in Georgia for 20 years. And when the virus hits, there are three places that got hit the hardest in the beginning. One was in Rome or one in Italy, one was in New York City, and then one was in Southern Georgia. Southern Georgia had almost you know, 500 people die from a funeral, some of which worked with my parents in some way. And over the course of those few months from March to August, um, people didn't wanna spend time with them. And eventually one of them said, hey, listen, you know, we've loved having dinner with you. We love doing business with you. We love being friends with you, but we can't, spend time with you anymore because you're the reason why the virus is here so you know never mind they had spent 20 years together through ups and downs they were friends with them one day and then saw them as the enemy another right think about that and that's when I decided I was going to write something so part of the reason why we're talking today Dion is that um, I realized I need to speak up for my family and so I wrote this, wrote this article in the tiny little paper in Southern Georgia. Uh, I had first time I ever wrote something for public, first time ever. And it was about the contributions of immigrants during COVID-19, like my parents, but others. I wrote it, I sent it out. I'm like, okay, a couple of people will read it, let's see. Um, and I just got all these messages from people. And also, so two things happened. One was 
I got a lot of positive responses, which is not normal. In writing, usually you get a lot of hate mail. And then two, um, the neighbors read it, my parents' neighbors, and they apologized to my parents. And so that was, and it's funny because they had seen me over the years. They, they go, oh yeah, that's Lee's son. He's the one who works in those office jobs. <laughs> that's all they think of me, right? Because I'm not a farmer. You know, I, I send emails and I'm, you know, in these shiny buildings, you know, work for the governor of California, you're in an office, right? Um, and then I realized that when you, when you actually use your voice with, um, with sincerity and compassion and facts, and you just say it in a way that meets people where they are, you really have an incredible power. And so it's going to be my one year anniversary of that piece coming out. So August 30th. And in that time, I've written 40 pieces um that made it all the way to like politico and the new york times and the washington post and and in florida and orlando sentinel and a few others miami herald right for somebody who had no business writing who had no business being in these publications had no business you know mattering but i realized that i didn't do that other people and like me or many of their friends loved ones yourself even they wouldn't matter either so someone has to say something and so that's sort of forced me to embrace all the things I've been sort of running away from, including my own heritage, right? Because, um, you know, I, I'm, as, um, I'm as American as apple pie, I like to say. I love baseball. I love hot dogs. I love, you know, I love monster truck rallies. I love all of it, right? I should be, I sound, like, I sound pretty American, right? Like, there are all <laughs> these things that I think, I think I'm very American. And somehow many people think, don't think I am at all despite working in Afghanistan for the country, despite serving uh, the largest state in the union, and despite working for companies that touch more people than anyone else on earth, it's never good enough. You never matter enough. And that's when I said, you know what? I'm just gonna say whatever I wanna say. And I'm gonna you know, just drop it in the laps of people who really need to hear it. And they can decide for themselves, right? And that's what's happened is when I embrace those things, then you realize that you do have a power, an obligation, a responsibility, whether that's talking about other plights of Asian Americans who live in poverty, whether that's using your voice to support Black Lives Matter, whether it's using your perspective and your experiences to talk about the plight of women and opportunities for women in Afghanistan, we have a responsibility. And I want people to know that when you embrace all the things that make you you, when you become your true self, that's where you have power. Your power is not from hiding. Your power is from accepting who you really are. That's power. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I almost don't want to give mine away, but I kind of already shared it anyhow. <laughs> my title or chapter for my life is um, basically being a warrior for change. Um, I shared a small tidbit of my story with you being diabetic in the pandemic, mm -hmm. which being diagnosed with anything this pandemic, again, is really absolutely terrifying. And we're about oh. two years into this, which means I'm two years into being diabetic. So the fact that I was able to survive this new diagnosis during this crazy virus, it's an absolute yeah. blessing in itself. Yeah. But um, that, apart from that small little tidbit, I've undergone a lot of health issues growing up. Um, 
had to overcome a lot of obstacles, um, nothing compared to yours, but all of us have, have our own fair share of obstacles that have shaped us into who we are right now, all for the better, I strongly believe. But um, I feel like a warrior really reflects everything I have come across in my life and continue to come across. So that would be the title or chapter for where my life is at right now, being a warrior for change. Yeah, amen. I mean, that's why it's important. And, you know, the hardest step in the journey is the first one. And then the second one is um, when you want to take a step and something holds you back from doing it. What, what, what makes you keep going? Those are the two tough ones. So that's great that you're moving forward on that. Thank you. So on to the fun icebreaker. Yes, fun. We like fun. We like fun. <laughs> Yes. So this icebreaker game is called Song Association. Um, okay. You have to be an avid singer to understand this game. Okay. I'm certainly not an avid singer, so I wouldn't expect my guests to be an avid singer. <laughs> <laughs> um, pretty much how the game works is I give you a word. Okay. And you can either say it, sing it, rap it. If you want to sing it, feel free. Again, this is an open forum to do whatever you want on my podcast. But um, basically, I give you the word and you either have to sing it in either the song title, if the word could be in a song title, or it's in the lyrics. Gotcha. Okay. However, there's a catch. Uh-oh. Time is not a luxury. You have 15 <sighs> seconds. Okay. Okay. Based off of the word I give you, a, for the word pertaining to the song title or in the lyrics. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. I'm ready. <laughs> so the uh, let me find my timer. Okay. The first word is heart. Oh, um, oh, you're tearing up my heart when I'm with you. Do, 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 do. Everyone loves a little NSYNC. Yes! Everyone loves a little NSYNC, come on. Man, you did good. And that was the song I was thinking of whenever I give this word and you just nailed it off the Well, can I say I'm Asian? I should be pretty good at karaoke. So it's uh, it's one of the powers I should have. So <laughs> so the okay, so let's see if your Asian persuasion of words is good with this next word. Um <laughs> Okay, so the next word is words. Words. Oh my gosh. Um, oh, more than words. Do 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 do. There we go. Ow, two out of two out of two. So far. I know it's look at this. We're on our way. You might be the first person to get all three. Oh, no. Now there's pressure. I, now I'm screwed here. <laughs> all right. Okay. 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 So the last word. Oh, I feel like I should change it to make it difficult, but I'm not going to be cruel. <laughs> the last word is change. Oh, my gosh. Change. Oh, my gosh. Um. The Tupac song changes. He's got that. What is the lyric? Oh my gosh, it's one of my favorites. 
It's one of my favorite Tupac songs. I'm, I, I missed it, see? I missed it here. I missed it. Love that song, though. I feel like that is a song what you have to say. I know, I know. <laughs> da, 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 da. That's just the way it is. That's right. Some things don't never change. There we go. Uh, oh, but that's the okay. Viral. That was so good, though. That's okay. Two, two out of three is not bad. That's the game. It's okay. You that's know? what Julie's about this new game. And I'm so glad I introduced it into my podcast because it's so I love it. fun. I love it. That's great. Uh, well, we can keep singing as many songs as we like to, but we're at the end of this awesome episode. Um. Jeff, do you have any social links where people can find your website? Are you going to have a movie in the future? Give us an inside <laughs> scoop. To no, 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 but I will, I mean, uh, you know, for the audience here, I mean, they can follow me on Twitter at Jeffrey D. Lee. That's Lee with one E. And I know, I hope you'll put it in the, uh, the show notes um, and I'll send you some, of, I'll have my, some of my recent articles for you to check out and you know, TV appearances, so you can get a sense of what I'm talking about. But, you know, I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me and to stump me on, uh, you know, on songs. And now I'm really sad for my boy Tupac. So I'm gonna have to get back to that. So thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. No problem, Jeff. And I'm sure Tupac will forgive you. It's fine. I know he's still around. So I'll just touch up with him. <laughs> to all my listeners thank you for joining us on this latest episode of the words of heart podcast i am your host Dion sanchez thank you again for joining me jeff lee and once again stay healthy stay safe if this episode resonated with you in any way shape or form or if it's reached you in outer space which would be so cool um, please don't hesitate to let me know on the following platforms. You can find us at the Words of Heart podcast on Facebook, and you can also find us on YouTube under the same name. And of course, wherever you listen to your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, and Google. Either way, please don't hesitate to share your thoughts. And again, stay healthy, stay safe. Um, every one of you matter. Please don't think otherwise. Every single life every soul, every person on this earth truly matters. You matter. You have a purpose. Even though my internet is acting up right now, either way, please don't think you are less than anything because you're not. So again, I am your host, Dion Sanchez, and until next time. Bye.